Do you struggle with what it means to be successful in your retirement? Trust us, you're not alone. Welcome to the Retirement Success in Maine podcast. Here, you'll go in-depth with Guidance Point Advisors Investment Consultants to hear stories about how retirees in Maine are navigating a successful retirement. Get insight into the inevitable challenges of aging and define what a successful retirement looks like. Welcome, everybody. My name is Ben Smith. I'm joined by my two co-hosts, Abby Duty and Curtis Wister, the Diana Taurasi and Sue Bird to my Candace Parker. How are you guys right. doing today? <laughs> doing good. Good. How are you, Ben? I'm great. I'm great. We got a kind of a necessary topic we wanted to cover today, right? Is I know sometimes you get into you know, lots of different things about life. And we know that for planning sessions, we we do a lot of envisioning a successful retirement, right? Mm-hmm. And a lot of times our clients are are talking about spending time with someone they love. And, and a lot of times, maybe that's someone that they love that maybe they love more than themselves. So as we're helping our clients to visualize the activities they want to do together, maybe it's travel, maybe it's visiting family, friends more, um, really just experiencing life more. So these coaching things, uh, again, retirement visualization that we've covered in previous episodes, they're just wonderful exercises to really go through because you can see the energy, right? Is mm-hmm. you know we're sitting down with people and you can see that reignited passion of hey, this is a new day and this is something we can do together and and finding that purpose because now they've they can start doing things they've always dreamed of. But somewhere down the road, right, is maybe in retirement, it's maybe a year out, ten years out, twenty years out. You know, one of us on our team gets a call from our clients, uh, someone we work with, and it's it's the call that we just we don't like, right? Is mm-hmm. they're they're broken up, they can't get the words out, and maybe it's their husband, maybe it's their wife, uh, significant other, their kid, someone important in their life has just passed away, and it really just shatters their world because of all these dreams and and goals and the things that they visualize. So a lot of their plans feel destroyed. But we all kind of want to make sure we're living our lives and how do we move on? So should that, should we move on? Right. And, mm. and how do we do that without feeling tremendous guilt for being happy in the face of loss? So that was, that was, uh, I think us kind of talking about that is, you know, we're presented with it. We say, geez, we're not, um, we're not counselors. We're not therapists. It's not what we do, but we want to make sure that we're addressing that. Um, so that's the topic we want to cover in today's podcast. So again, as we said, we're frontline, really seeing these things happen all the time. And we want to interview someone that's really been trained to help people through this type of event. So our guest today is a licensed clinical professional counselor, and she's also a registered art therapist. Uh, she has a private practice in Waterville, Maine. Uh, it's called Conscious Art Therapy. And she's also a teacher, an artist, and workshop and retreat facilitator. So I'd like to welcome Bodie Simpson to the Retirement Success in Maine podcast. So Bodie, appreciate you coming on. Hello, Ben. Thanks for having me. Yeah, well, well, thanks for coming on. We wanted to obviously dig into the topic, but we thought obviously with our show, one of the things we want to do is always just introduce you, right? Is you know, obviously I, we did a blind request of you coming on today and got you involved in terms of what we're trying to do, but we want to make sure that our audience knows you, right? Is, is here a little bit about your path kind of getting to this point today. So maybe you could just start with where did you grow up and, and kind of then your, your kind of path maybe towards school? Sure. Um, well, I grew up in the central Maine in the Waterville Fairfield area. And, you know, when I started school, I started with art classes in college. I always expressed myself really easily through art. And so took art classes and eventually psychology and mental health classes. And while I was taking those classes, I really started to understand some of the deeper mental health issues going on within my family system. And, um, you know, it just kind of opened me up to this whole reality and this whole world, which really the journey to become an art therapist was really a journey of my own healing and realizing that through everything that I'd been through in my life, I felt I had a strength that maybe I could offer others, you know, teach them maybe something that I learned. Gotcha. So, so you're essentially saying, right, is, hey, you went through something in your life where you kind of felt the need that to heal. I, I'm expressing myself in lots of different ways, whether it be art or so. Can you talk a little bit about then, like, how did you choose that, right? Is Because, again, you kind of have the art background already. And you said, hey, this is something personal I went through. How did you then say, 
you know, I could do anything in my life. Why did I choose to kind of blend those two kind of professions together and then say, hey, I can make a go of it and this is something I want to do full time? That's a great question. So I actually started my undergrad was was not in art. It was in uh, ended up being in mental health and human services. And I you know, was helping people, but I was missing the art. You know, I was like, man, I'm just not really feeling fulfilled. And so I actually was applying to um, clinical psychology programs because it felt like the next step. And I came upon a field called clinical art therapy, which I'd actually never even heard of before. Hmm. And it was the combination of art and mental health and psychology and human development. And so when I found the field, I re- I just had that feeling in my heart, like, oh my gosh, this is who I am. There's a job that's just who I am. <laughs> and so I, I feel like I just kind of like followed the steps, you know, as far as what felt right in the moment to find my way. It's kind of kind of a nice feeling when you find your tribe, right? Is that oh, totally? You know, it's like now I I know where I belong, and there's a peace there that you don't feel that unsettled. Is this right? Or and I think we always kind of question it, you know, regardless of even when you find it. But so yeah. nice to hear of hey, this is what I'm meant to be and what I'm meant to do and and those sorts of things. Can you talk a little bit about Maine, right? So growing up in central Maine, I know from all of us and a lot of the guests we've interviewed that are from here, is there's always this gravity to leave, right? Is that there's always this pull, you can go be in the city, go to Boston or New York or, or further, you can go do lots of stuff. And again, Maine, when you're in it is very uncool. And sometimes it's cooler to kind of be somewhere else. But there's this gravity to come back. So you can talk about, obviously, you didn't kind of express that part. Why did you choose Maine to kind of be educated here? But also why why stay? Yeah, so I started uh, my education in Maine at University of Maine Augusta because it was close and I was I'd only been in Maine, so I was too scared to go anywhere else. Sure. And then I did like what you're talking about. I did my grad school in Massachusetts, got the heck out of here. <laughs> and um I didn't like it. You know, I feel like it's such a fast paced life in the city and there were so many therapists and I really felt that Maine was in need. I mean, there were like two art therapists that I had ever known of in Maine at that time. I'm sure there were a few more, but um, I felt like Maine needed this. So um, I also love the the pace here. It's beautiful. It's flowing, slower pace. So that's why I came back. Awesome. Can you talk a little bit? So obviously you come back at that point. Can you talk towards your kind of path towards uh, your own private practice? Again, well, it, as you said, well, you're not only seeing really two other you know, practitioners that are doing art therapy, but what's been unique about your work with your clients in the areas of counseling that you're focusing on? And then how are people finding you? Okay. Um, so actually most people pick me because I look nice on the psychology today ad and they don't even read that I'm an art therapist and they come in and when I let them know I'm an art therapist, they give me that like deer in headlights look of like, I'm not creative. I don't do art. And so I am trained in talk therapy. And so for many of my clients, you know, the biggest thing is really helping people find the method of expression that's most comfortable for them. Mm-hmm. So what I'll say is I'll just kind of invite them to, you know, maybe trying as we check in, trying a few different techniques and modalities using creativity if they're open to it, because sometimes we don't realize how we express ourselves until we try different ways. So a big part of my job is just to help people open to being vulnerable and to find compassion for themselves as they explore something new. And the reason I love art therapy is because, well, first of all, I feel like most people aren't really taught how to express their feelings. They weren't raised in a family that knew how to do that Mm -hmm. um, and not their parents' fault. Their parents weren't raised in that method either. So you know, helping people to really express that raw feeling. So it's not about creating something that's beautiful that you're going to hang on your wall. A lot of times it's really kind of scary looking, getting at the raw emotion. And then once you've expressed something, it's outside of you. So you don't even have to know what it is you expressed or why. And once it's outside of you, then together we can witness this visual expression of an invisible emotion. My my role is to help guide people to build a relationship to what they expressed and how it connects back to them. And so when it's in a when your emotional state is in a, a seen in a witness perspective, you're a little bit removed from it emotionally. So you can kind of see the patterns and the beliefs a little bit more clearly. You can gain perspective to see other ways through where maybe you wouldn't have when we're just kind of stuck talking about it over and over. So I feel like in my first seven years in Maine, it was really just educating everybody about what the heck art therapy was, the power of creative expression. Um, But now there are like 
TED talks about it. And so many art therapists. I mean, there's, there's a, you know, there's a, not a ton of us still in, at least in central Maine, there's a few more in Southern Maine. Um, and I'm sure there's a whole new force coming in. So um, nowadays you can actually find a lot of research on it where when I was starting, it was more like we knew it was helpful, but we didn't really have the, you know, the research behind it. And do you feel like, and as kind of a follow-up to that is, do, do you feel like that maybe as we're kind of getting into the baby boomer generation more of kind of getting closer to retirement, that there's maybe a little bit more openness to that in terms of like the whole expressive uh, nature here that, cause I, I, I can just, you know, you can hear maybe like echoes of past generations and especially ones that are, you know, the great depression and world war two and just a lot of suppression in terms of feelings and thoughts and in relation to your worries and your fears that, I don't know if to me observing kind of and we're thus working with this population, it feels like we're now, cause we ask a lot of why, like, why do you want to do this? And, you know, you're visualizing or you want to, you want to go here, you want to do that and you're getting to why. And there's that conversation happens much more quickly, I think today than it did maybe even 10 or 15 years ago. Cause before it would be maybe it took you a year to five years to even get to that point that they trusted you enough to to express themselves that way. Oh, definitely. Yes. It's much more mainstream to see a counselor mm-hmm. than even 10 years ago. I feel like yeah. there's a lot more, you're seeing it more everywhere with all ages. People are talking about it with their friends, you know, like, no, I'm going to see my counselor. <laughs> yeah. And it's just, yes, much, much more accepted today than used to be. It's not necessarily a sign of weakness, right? Is that, cause I think before uh, it was, it, you're, you're weak if you're going to get help and you're admitting that you're weak and now it's it's like, well, no, I, I am struggling with something, but it's a sign of strength that I'm actually vulnerable enough to say that I am and then go yeah. seek help to get over this or maybe not get over it, but maybe just express it or maybe just to understand it better or, or whatever that may be. But, you know, from kind of I know we're tangential with our kind of services in the population, but people are people, too. So, again, from our side, that's what we are seeing a whole lot more of. Yeah, you know, emotions are information and they're just meant to be felt and moved through us. But I find people hold on to their feelings for 30 years mm-hmm. and they've never learned how to how to open. Yeah. And, and we use this example a bunch is we, we just see in terms of, and again, even light stuff, happy stuff, things that people said, I always wanted to do something. And, and they just, then even their spouse have said, you've never told me that. Like not just the pain points, yeah. which probably would be very difficult of, Hey, this is something I'm, I'm hurt by, or you did this to me and, and how do I actualize it and reference it back to you? All, like all those kind of those things I could see, understand more, but even just the, Hey, I was really excited if we could go on a trip to Italy and I always wanted to do it, but I can't even tell them that because I don't want to offend them. And what if they're unhappy with me and right. all those things back and forth. So, so many barriers. So I, that's what I think Bodhi so today true. with you is I wanted to have us kind of discuss a little bit more. And I know we're going to focus on grief here in a second, but all of these, right. There's a barrier to expression, and I, I'm really interested in how you kind of tackle that. So I want to ask one more question about you, Bodhi, in terms of your uh, your role. But what do you find that you love about your job? Again, I know that you say like, hey, I kind of found peace with this is what I'm meant to be. But what do you love most? Oh, that's a good question. I feel like I really just love holding space for people to open up to themselves. I, I love helping people learn how to heal themselves. It's very fulfilling. So, because really it's on the other side of it, right? It's like you see pain and then you kind of get to the bridge and you can... You see it transform yeah. into Yeah. Because I think from our side, we're pretty jealous because a lot of our financial plans are like 30 years. Like, how do we know if we got success or not? Well, let's wait 30 years or 50 years or 60 years and then we'll tell you if you got it or not. But, yeah. you know, so it's like, well, wait and see, wait and see. And then we'll know if we did a great job. I mean, the good part about yours is I think you see a little bit more immediate feedback, which is, which is great. Yes, definitely. Awesome. Well, I want to shift to, again, this idea that the title of today's show is rediscovering self-purpose after losing a loved one, right? Because again, sometimes our identity is, is maybe us um, as a couple or me, maybe a relationship with a child or, you know, that you kind of identify as maybe a family, right? And not necessarily as, as, as kind of individual there. So I want to talk about a grieving process, right? So let's say it's day one and I'm just going to use a, you know, um, I'll just use a, just an example here 
a wife loses her husband of 40 years, just because we see that a lot, right? Is it's, it's usually the husband that passes away before the wife. And usually it's a longstanding relationship. They're inseparable. They're in love. Can you talk about the various steps? Like when that happens again, day one, this person just lost their loved one. What various steps must that person face as they address their grief towards losing a loved one? This is a really good question because I feel like when people are, are going through this process, that's what they're asking me. It's like, okay, what stages have I been through? And what's the next one? You know, like yeah. what's, you know, like we're just looking for structure around this, like really loose universal experience of grief. Um, you know, there are different stages of grief that, uh, you know, uh, Elizabeth Huber-Ross developed, which was like denial and acceptance and anger and depression and bargaining. And so people will come in and say, well, I haven't gotten angry yet. Like, when's that one coming? And the truth is that, you know, all of these different stages of grief and loss, they intermingle and you may not experience all of them. So it really is unique to the situation. You know, there are many different types of losses, which we can talk about a little bit more a little bit later. But a, a big piece of it is really taking the time to experience the pain of the loss and also to kind of like realign yourself to your environment first, because that's, you know, that's just so much change just in your daily routines, um, in, in your sense of self. And then we go to the finding, finding meaning and new purpose and direction. When people are going through the grieving process, right, sometimes it might feel like it's going on forever. Like they're just going to be stuck in this process forever. Um, and loved ones may want to urge them, like, it's time to move on. It's time to get over it. Like, why can't you just get out of this rut that you're in? Um, so is there, is it okay to be stuck for a while? Um, certainly, like you were just saying, there's no handbook on a time limit or anything. Is it okay to be there for a while, to be grieving for a while? Yeah, I think this is a great question because I do hear that from a lot of people. You mm -hmm. know, my friends keep telling me to move on mm -hmm. or I should start dating or I should, you know, get out there. And no, every situation with grief really is complicated. You know, it can be a little complicated or it can be a traumatic loss. If it's, mm -hmm. you know, somebody who's passed suddenly versus somebody who's been ill for a very long time. Mm -hmm. And with grief, what we're experiencing is that sense of separation. So uh, that, that loss of connection to your best friend, to your loved one, to your support system. And like Ben mentioned, you know, somebody, sometimes you feel you love even more than yourself, more than life itself. And so, but the truth is we don't, we don't want to keep ourselves stuck, you know, so 10 years is a long time to stay stuck in the process. So, um, you know, we do want to express and, and find ways to move through. The and can I ask a follow up there, Bodhi, in terms of, I, you know, I think, some of it from an outsider perspective, right? And I think it maybe feels a little bit different based on maybe how much life we've lived with that person as well. You know, I, I've, I have a friend that was saying, and I was talking to them about this episode, and they said, oh my God, I, my, I got a girlfriend that's uh, 43 years old and she just lost her husband suddenly, yeah. right? And it's like all of a sudden, again, the same thing is like at some point, what what's the process? But it feels like, you know, seeing as a loved one kind of seeing that person struggle and not it maybe not just the the timeline that there's some timeline to get through things but there's just not progress it's like okay well maybe you're just stuck in the anger stage you're just always so angry with them and you're just expressing that all the time and, and why did they do this and why did they leave me and why i could have done this with you and all of those feelings but it, it feels like that, that sometimes it's just circular right is it just kind of keeps going and going and and it, it makes them maybe it makes them feel like to everybody else as an angry person. And those then around them go, well, I don't want to spend my time with an angry person. So it distances right. you even more. Right. It, and I think that's we in Maine anyway, we kind of get this physical distancing as it is because we are more rural. We can be more spread out. Winters can be hard here. So, you know, connection is so important, but I, I guess that's my question to you is like, how would I maybe just kind of get, get in there? Like, how would I kind of help, help kind of um, maybe suggest to them about here's where we are and, and try to see them in advance? Mm -hmm. Well, the most important thing is really to validate, validate, validate. I feel like so many times we're trying to, at least that's what I'm hearing from my clients, you know, where they want me to get out, they want me to do this. And I don't want to tell them how I feel. I don't want them to, you know, bear the weight of my sadness. So I think the more you can just accept how they're feeling, not necessarily try to change it, but at the same time, you know, offer suggestions, kind of gently supporting them ways you can, things you could do together or, 
maybe helping them find some resources if they're ready to talk to somebody else. But I feel like in the beginning, when people are, are hurting, the, the most important thing is just validating. So, Bodhi, you just kind of teed this up for me here. I kind of want to follow up. You know, I know Ben was just talking about sort of as an outsider or that loved one to try to help push someone along. Kind of how does that work? And, you know, if you get to that point where, you know, I'm sitting back and it's not me who just lost my spouse, but say I really want, you know, friend X, Y, Z to really go seek help or seek someone like yourself. Kind of how, I guess, one, when do you think that's kind of appropriate? And again, I know it's different for everyone. Um, And then just kind of how does that work seeking out someone like yourself? That is such a great question that I feel like a lot of people, it seems so easy, but when you're in it, you know, it can feel so, you just feel so lost sometimes. Mm -hmm. So you know, as a support person, I would always recommend offering maybe to help them find some therapists in the area, or if they have insurance, you could even have them or, or you could call their insurance company and find out who's in network in the area. You could give them the numbers. And if they're just not able to call, you could even, I've had people, family members call me to see if I have openings and even set up the initial session. You know, sometimes they'll have a friend or loved one bring them to the session. The other thing is with that, you know, some people come to counseling right away because they know they're going to need support. Some people come after the first year, they feel like they really need a year or two mm-hmm. to really be like come out of that shock state and be ready to process. So some people I see five or 10 years later, but I do, I really feel that, you know, the sooner people can come, the sooner they can just face the truth and move But there's also Facebook groups nowadays. So people aren't quite ready for that. Some of them are a little more positive than others. I've I've had clients say, you know, they've joined like a a widow Facebook support group where everybody's kind of just talking about how sad they are. And um, this person found one that was more positive about like, okay, and how do we move through this? So maybe just helping them navigate that that piece would be helpful. Or sometimes there's like a somebody in your family or somebody you know that's been through a similar situation. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's really helpful if they could just talk sure. to somebody that has been through it. Sure. So. Can I ask a, a related to that too, Bodhi? Is, so, because I guess we kind of talked about the connection and communication is so key. and and it, But if I'm, again, in, in Curtis's situation of, hey, my friend is, is really going through this and I, I really care, but how can I, like, how do I just, what, what's the, some tips you can offer around at, like, pointing them towards, you know, geez, maybe some counseling services might be the thing to do. Cause it feels like there could be an overreach, right? Is like, hey, you right. are, you're trying to push yourself on me. You, you don't understand what I'm going through or you don't, you don't think I can do this myself. And you're going, I can see where if I'm trying to offer assistance, I want to do so without being, again, I want to validate what they're going through, as you just said, but I want to do it without kind of going backwards and and right. then feeling like, well, I'm betraying them or I'm insulting them by offering this. How would you kind of approach that conversation? Yeah, this is a great question. It's, it is, um, and sometimes people have a lot of beliefs against counseling. You know, they've been brought yeah. up. I don't need help. I've always been there for other people. I hear that all the time. Mm-hmm. I'm the support person. I don't need support. I feel like it's really just, if it's somebody you truly care about, stay present with them and continue offering, not forcing it on them, Mm -hmm. but just checking in with them and seeing if they're ready or letting them know when you're ready, you know, let's, let's do this together or, you know, give it some, you want to really respect where they're at in their process because, you know, when people are feeling forced, they do have a tendency to put walls up Mm -hmm. and close in. So it it does, it tends to be an intuitive process, Hmm. but remembering to check in when they maybe seem fine. Yeah. Because again, again, uh, obviously, and we everyone can just put up that facade too, and it looks like they're okay. But you know, you can see signs too sometimes of you know that they're not maybe doing okay, and they're they're putting just a really kind of good face on it. So yeah, I, I like that as a point of hey, even just checking in and giving them the airtime, and just maybe just you know shut down in terms of your side of the conversation and listen and just exactly. see what comes back, and I not just, just kind of it. yeah, just don't yeah. fill. Right. Yeah. So yeah, I, I want to talk a little bit about, so kind of shifting to getting people to, towards the counseling side and, and kind of what sort of kind of process to go through. Can we talk a little bit about the counseling experience? Right. So is, is somebody that maybe has not gone through counseling and, you know, and to kind of hear about it is, of course, everyone's got the stereotype, right? Is it's the, uh, you know, the James Gandolfini and Dr. Melfi, or it's the person on the couch and someone's got, glasses on taking notes and go, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Can you, can you talk a little bit about what that experience really is? Like, so again, what's 
from the moment that they come in the door, like what, what does a session look like and what does it look like over time and how does that evolve? And again, maybe it's from you with your art side or even just mm -hmm. towards the, the talking perspective. Just let's break that down so we can kind of get over the kind of the myth and dispel that part. I love this because every time I see it on TV, I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, or the, the therapist is like telling them what their problem is or telling them what they need to do. Or, but the most important thing really is finding somebody you feel like you can talk to. So what I always tell people is, you know, go through pictures, see if you have a connection with that person, even from a photo or read a little bit about them. Don't just necessarily do a blind. It's like shopping. You want to find like a doctor too, you know, you want to find somebody you feel you resonate with, you know, and as a therapist, our role is really to establish safety. So you would come into to my office or somebody else's office. Here I have two couches. You would sit across from me. And I have, like I said, I have different tools to help people know where to start because a lot of times people will come in and they'll, or they'll be crying and they'll say, I don't even know where to start. I don't even know what to say or I don't do this. I don't do feelings. So, so with art therapy, a lot of times initially or only, we are very basic. It might be something as simple as having them choose an image blindly and they share what it reminds them of and basically what it does is it opens up a doorway into a, a story to an experience so you know our role is just to, to be able to connect with you and help you connect more deeply with your truth and a good therapist will not have you leave the office worse than you came in in the beginning sometimes it can feel that way because you're mm -hmm. i always say we're kind of like it off the trash can especially if it's somebody who hasn't really dealt with sometimes i'm dealing with people like i said 10 years ago they lost somebody and they never once talked about it put a lid on it and moved on yeah. So I can feel like it's you're much more vulnerable in the beginning, but the goal would be that we we check in, we go where you feel comfortable going, and then we we bring it around to to have a sense of how, what can you do moving forward. What's the so kind of like a grounding um, practice mm -hmm. to to work on moving forward. And so in the work that I do with my clients is I help teach them really simple tools to connect more deeply to themselves, so that when they leave, they are not disconnected and triggered so i guess i guess my question to you buddy is then okay every session that you're going through because again from a theatrical uh cinematic experiences i sit down with you i blah my feelings at you and then all of a sudden i come to this really deep realization about myself that i never would have come to before but what you what i hear you saying is it's maybe just even that i just feel a little bit better Right. Is that that maybe that doing a lot of little betters equal to being feeling a lot better over time? Uh, maybe it's not that I need to maybe I don't realize something for myself. Maybe I do. But more of that, I'm feeling that it's more of kind of feeling something better than what I was feeling kind of coming in. Would that be true? Yes, I love what you're saying. So a lot of it is people come in and they're they're holding and they don't know how to move this through them. And really, this space is a container for you to bring your stuff and release it. We can learn from it. You leave the heavy stuff here. We take little glimmers of, of, you know, positive with you, what you've learned, what you want to hold on to, and then you feel lighter when you leave. And so it's this kind of clearing process. And it may, it may take a while because it's going to, it's going to, it's a process. There's, there's more to be uncovered, but you're right. It's about finding space to honor your truth so that you can release and feel better. And, and also being open to being led, right? I think, here too, right? Is that because I, I guess I, what I would see is if from the people we work with, but also maybe personally, is if I walk in, I feel like maybe there's an expectation of I need to just immediately get trust, immediately throw this out there, let you assemble my puzzle pieces, put it back together for me so that I can. So it, it feels like there's a whole lot of, again, going in myth here of I need to do all the work. Because it's me that needs to be fixed. Again, I'm, I'm just using yeah. maybe that. And that I need to do all this to help you fix me, like kind of the mechanic side. So, but it, again, it, what you're kind of expressing is that's not the, not the case. No, it's more about coming in and finding ways to open, like I mentioned before, open to being vulnerable and loving yourself enough as you would any other human you mm -hmm. care about to take care of yourself and find ways to heal. Great. Um, so kind of shifting gears a little bit to talk about Mainers specifically. Um, so have you noticed anything that is specific with Mainers when they're going through grief? And if so, have you adapted your practice in any way? And do you see a difference between 
southern Maine and central Maine. I know they're pretty close, but, you know, culturally they can be pretty different. Yes. Well, I mean, in Maine, you know, on its own, it's we are more rural. And mm-hmm. so um, I do find that people it's easy for them to kind of withdraw and not reach out and aren't, they aren't as connected. And I, I do have some colleagues that travel. Actually, they go to people's homes. That is mm-hmm. not something I do, but it is common in this area. So I, I want to ask a question that maybe this is a hard question, Bodhi, is I, I think from even just something to ask, because this is something actually, actually um, the three of us and our team here, we had one of our clients had uh, committed suicide last summer. Right. And it's like, again, from all the, from the mental, uh, wellness perspective and, you know, as a, as a professional relationship with him. And I feel like we, we had a trusting relationship, but still you just, there's no way to know. And, and all of a sudden you don't know how he's suffering and his lows and all that. Cause maybe he's just bringing the best to you. But obviously with, with people as they're maybe even grieving or maybe they're just solo aging, right? Is they're just looking at this and saying, Hey, I, I, I'm having feelings of suicide, right? I'm lonely. You know, maybe I feel like I'm a burden to my family. Maybe I've, you know, I've lost uh, that person and I'm saying, what is my purpose? And so again, not the, like I'm, I'm getting so low in my life that I'm really kind of thinking about this whole, like we hear the, you hear the quote and actually people even say this almost in jest, but it's just like, if I get to that point in my life, I'll end myself or uh, I can't wait to see my spouse again. Or so like insinuations and not necessarily like they're overtly kind of doing that. But can we talk about maybe for those that as we're aging, is that normal to kind of maybe even have those feelings are they um, maybe expressing them externally? But when, uh, I guess some of my concern is that, and then I'll, I'll, I'll let you go there, then I'll ask the follow-up, Sarah. And I would, I would answer by saying, yes, it's completely normal to have those kind of thoughts and feelings. Because I, I guess from our end is, okay, we hear it. Yeah. And you kind of wonder from an outsider perspective is whether they're relaying that to their kids or they're to their friends or to people they know and they love and they trust. Does that then insinuate a responsibility, right? Is Does it's like, okay, I heard this. Yeah. Again, you're sharing information with me. And am I the only one that you've shared this information with? And what's my responsibility right now that I have the information to make sure that you're safe, to make sure that what you just shared with me, that I I don't see that you're, and I don't want to dismiss it, right? I don't want to just say, hey, what I just heard you say, and uh, you're just joking, and that's a big deal. So can you kind of describe that of kind of the, again, an external perspective, you hear it, how would you kind of advise people to engage with that? Yeah, well, in our profession, we're mandated reporters. So we're, it's kind of built into our what we do. But as somebody who's human and who cares about somebody else, there's nothing wrong with saying what you just said. You know, have you shared this with other people in your family? Do they understand how you feel? You know, because a lot of times people just need somebody. Mm. You know, I have a lot of things that I wish somebody would just like read my thoughts or like I would never come out and say that I need this. Why don't they just, I just wanted to get it. So that caring human that notices mm-hmm. that somebody else is suffering and just by you validating and asking that question could help them or you could you know offer to, to make a referral if you want so you made the point Bodhi, about again the kind of being a again a mandated reporter right so you you have somebody express that in your session well can you explain what that means like so again i i got expressed that and somebody said that to me well, who are we reporting to, right? And what does that mean? Because again, what mm-hmm. I what I try, I think what the internal battle as an external person, again, a friend, a son, a, a daughter, a cousin, whatever, is that I'm betraying your trust. That I'm now, it feels like I'm selling you out to somebody that you don't trust. And now am I burning that bridge? And I'm actually making it worse, not better. Yeah. So in the therapy world, we, um, you know, there's a difference between I'm feeling this way versus I have a plan to do this, this and this. Mm -hmm. So our role is to help people express themselves. And when they, you know, we have people express really heavy emotions all the time. That's what our job is. But if it got to the point where where we really felt like somebody was at risk of hurting themselves or hurting somebody else, we are mandated reporters and we're required to report that. Now for you, I'm not necessarily recommending that you report it to anybody, but just 
just being caring enough to ask them the question, are you okay? And is there anything I can do to help? Could I, could I call somebody or refer you or sometimes just asking, are you okay? Is enough. You know, saying you don't have to be a clinician and assess it, but just caring enough to notice. Yeah. Cause, cause I think from our end, Bodhi is again, as a frontline person sometimes is that maybe you're the only person that they do trust. I don't know. Right. And, and so I don't want to assume that they have a circle and so, but what I hear you saying is if you start hearing a plan of, oh yeah, well, this is how it's going to happen or whatever, at that point, then we're kind of elevating it to, we need to report it to family or maybe the police, local police station or something along those lines. Yeah. I guess it would be something you'd have to decide if that was the step you, you wanted to make. Yeah, you know, it's yeah. hard because I hear what you're saying. You want to respect where people are at. And although sometimes people aren't, aren't emotionally stable. And they do need the extra support. Sure. It's hard. I mean, you guys aren't licensed therapists, but you're playing the role. You're there you're hearing people's lives and you care about them. And you build a relationship with them. Bodhi, I want to kind of change gears here. Can you just kind of share with us, like generally, some success stories? You know, we love stories. I think our listeners love to hear these stories about, you know, I, I think all of us have gone through this kind of hypothetical situation. We've talked about this episode of a loved one of 40 years, you know, your spouse passes away, or you know, someone who's gone through this, just kind of someone who's kind of gone through that type of loss and gotten over it and, you know, gone through this grief process. And can you just kind of share some, some insider stories there? Sure. I have one in mind as a woman who lost her husband suddenly, right as they were both getting ready to retire mm. and they had all kinds of trips planned, you know, all their, everything they've waited their whole lives to do and parties. And, and just suddenly he died. It wasn't it was this happened hmm. and so luckily she reached out for a session I believe it was about two months after he died and we met initially about once a week and then we eventually after about 10 months we moved to like once every other week once a month but really the first year was really helping her holding space for her to grieve helping her to set boundaries where she needed to like helping her to like listen to what felt right to her versus what other people wanted for her, but also helping her to notice when she needed more support to be able to speak about that. And really it was for the first year, it was helping her to adjust to each season. Mm -hmm. You know, every season she realized there was just different losses every season because of what she had done with her husband and her children. And everybody through the first year was encouraging her to, you know, I think after like a month, clean out the house, get his stuff out of there. Um, you need to start dating and all these things. And um, it wasn't until about a year that she was willing and ready to even go through his items. Mm. And it wasn't until about a year that we started doing some more of the creative approaches. So around a year for her, she was, I feel like coming into acceptance and ready to do something creative, ready to get some juices flowing to find a new meaning and find a new purpose. Um, and so at that time, she, um, we did a lot of work around memorializing like memories uh, that she wanted to hold on to. And she would take his clothes and make quilts and pillows for her family, painted her bedroom, kind of redid the. So it's, it's, I think the biggest thing about grief work is also not, um, moving on, but, but building a new connection in a new way to your loved ones. So that was a big piece of our work as well is how do I, how do I open up, up to, yes, they're not here in physical form, but what does death mean to me? And how do I still connect? And how do I really at that point after a year, it was like, how do I really learn to hold space for my grief and my sadness and my anger and bring in the light and the future? And really for her, um, the, the loss triggered every loss she'd ever had since she was young trauma. Um, so it almost felt like for her, it gave her an opportunity not only to heal her grief, but to heal a lifetime of losses. And then, so really it's like this blank slate as she moves forward where she's, you know, she's, she's sad, she's grieving and she's hopeful. She's yeah. both. So I think that's really the best case scenario where we can come back into balance in a new way. One thing that we kind of hear a lot and we try to tackle almost in every episode and not, not in a thematic way, but it just kind of comes up is that is the question, is it too late? And what, what I'm, I want to just kind of pose you to that question is, you know, even later in life. So maybe I'm in my eighties or nineties and I lose that person and I'm, I'm going through that process. And what, what are the things you're describing as the outcome of the process, which is what we're trying to get to in this show is, Hey, at the, again, I, I, in a way, I kind of allergic to the whole getting over it, right? It's like, like, how do you, you don't, right? You don't get over the loss of that person. And 
there's just really no great way to express that though. But I, I think from that end is, you know, had, what about the person that is that late eighties and that, you know, they're closer towards maybe end of life than the beginning of life, but they're not so close that they can't have hope and they can't, that they can't have a, a kind of purpose and things that they want to still accomplish uh, going forward. So I guess my question really is first, is it different in terms of that about the process and kind of finding purpose after death from, from that loved one. And are you still seeing people are able to do that, right? Are they able to do that? Even though it's like, Hey, um, you know, I, I might, we all might pass away tomorrow, but more likely I, I've kind of already accepted that when I am 90, that more likely that may happen as an outcome, you know, there's still life and joy to experience. Yeah. You know, with, you know, experiencing a death at that age, it's like everything you thought was going to happen is now changed. Mm-hmm. And I actually saw a lady, she was about 94, very lively and healthy. And she said, you know, I feel like my life never really started until I was about 75 when my husband died. And she said, I loved him. But she said, between 75 and the time that I saw her at 94, she like stepped into parts of herself that she never mm-hmm. even knew she wanted to or things from when she was a child that she just didn't do during the, you know, the years married and with children. And so I guess, you know, it's, there's loss and there's also opportunity for finding new aspects of yourself and new aspects of life at all time, at all mm-hmm. points. Just perspective, I suppose. So Bodhi, one, uh, one thing we like to, to ask our, our guests on every show, going to completely change it up on you here. So the name of our show is the Retirement Success in Maine podcast, which you knew. Um, so. We want to look ahead to your retirement. I guess, what is retirement success? Like, what do you think that'll mean for you? And and how do you envision your retirement when you get to that point in your life? That's a great question. I feel like, hmm, yeah, something I guess we don't take time to think about much. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Um, I I feel like I, I want to make a plan, but I also want to be open to the twists and turns along the way. I want to have a lot of fun around the time retirement comes. I want to be present to what's coming or what is kind of just because of the work that I do. I know that so much of life we really can't plan. So it's like making a plan, but allowing it to shift as I go. Sure. And then that, I would be happy. That'd be great. Love it. Great. Well, Bodhi, th- thank you so much for coming on our show today. It's um, again, I know it's a heavy topic and I, I know a lot of the work you do is, is not just obviously on the grieving side. There's other, other aspects of your, uh, of your business as well and in your work with people. So, but I, again, we, we thought as a need mm. is there's just, just a heavy need for that with these conversations to happen, to happen in the open, to happen with understanding and human feeling and, and uh, so I can't thank you enough for kind of coming on and doing that with us. Cause uh, again, I, it, it's just, I think as we've talked about it and even just as we experienced with our clients, we even got to grieve, right? I think you, you, you know, you have these connections with these people. And if you're doing, I think in our sense, if you're doing it right, you care, yeah. you, you love these people, you want to yeah. see them succeed and you want to see, and, and you kind of see that, you know, things change in their lives and you kind of grieve that too. So Thank you for that, because I think it's it's really meaningful of, of what you're doing, how you're touching people, and the ability to come on and share is really great. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. I Hopefully, somebody will benefit from this conversation. For sure. Absolutely. Take care. Hey, guys, just want to insert something real quick. Um, so in our conversation with Bodie Simpson today, we did talk about suicide a little bit. And and one of the things we're talking about was resources. Uh, we connected with Bodie afterwards and kind of as she was thinking and listening to it and kind of want to make sure that we made a point. And that point was really, if you are concerned about even yourself or, or somebody else that, you know, having suicidal thoughts and maybe and being serious about that is to reach out to the main crisis hotline. Um, so we want to make sure that we inserted that into today's show because it is a very serious issue and we want to make sure that people have the resources they need. So you can call the main crisis hotline number at one 568 1112 So obviously we have a lot of people that are not in the state of Maine as well, right? So if you are listening to this and you know of somebody, there is a national suicide prevention lifeline that you can use. Um, that phone number as well as one 273 talk uh, and talk is numbers is eight two five five. So one eight hundred two seven three eight two five five. 
also, you can go to the website, suicidepreventionlifeline.org. And there is a lifeline chat where you can chat with a real crisis counselor online. So again, some resources. We just want to make sure that, uh, again, that obviously we're having a conversation, really taking it seriously. We'd rather be taking it overly seriously than being more cavalier on it. So I think those are really important points. So we just want to make sure that before we kind of get to our wrap up today, that we were highlighting that for you. Thanks all. So really fantastic to have Bodie Simpson on the show today. Um, Mm -hmm. A course from a, you know, having having someone that's again the licensed clinical counselor, right, and and knowing someone that can is counseling people on a day to day basis, and this is what they do, um, and talking about grief and and kind of as we see it as you know all of a sudden you know you have a financial plan of well we're going to do this and then we're going to spend that and we're going to then you know here's how we're going to live our life and and then that gets shaken up when that person is is now you know not the couple anymore they're still mm-hmm. working with us. Yeah. And, you know, what's the plan now? And if they don't know themselves, and how are we going to help from an external perspective? So kind of, again, good to kind of hear her process, hear how she helps people, and and then how we can maybe reverb that or reincorporate it. So, of course, with every episode, we like to, uh, of course, kind of get our uh, highlighters out um, <laughs> and really just go through and say, here's what I learned today. I'm going to have Curtis kind of bat lead off here with what did you take away from Bodie's conversation with us today? Yeah. Um, you know, a piece, a piece that stuck out to me, Ben, was uh, she was talking about, I think, just kind of, you know, getting through. And again, we're trying not to be like, oh, just get over it. But getting through that grief process and, and things you can do. And she brought up, I think she had a widow she discussed that had joined a Facebook group. That was something that I had just I had never even thought about, you know, the the technology there, and that you know it circles back to our conversation we had a little while back with John Deal about technology and aging and retirement, and for someone to be able to connect with potentially so many people who have been through something so similar from their couch to be able to you know share stories and experiences and how are you getting through it and how can I you know doing this really helped or doing that didn't kind of outside of you know someone like Bodie and and her services I thought that was a really you know a really good piece to to think about that could help yeah and, and I think traditionally what you would have seen right is like these widows grieving uh groups right is yeah is you'd have them come together and they would you know, they, they'd sit around and have conversations, share kind of what they're experiencing. Mm. But, you know, talk about, again, we're, we're a remote state as a group. Right. What if there's not one near me? Mm-hmm. What if, what if I have mobility issues as I'm aging and I can't get out of the house to experience that? Maybe I have no outlet anymore. Right. And using technologies, you said, Curtis, to do, you know, whether Facebook group or something along those lines, I don't even have to be expressive. I can just listen and sure. heal. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yep. I can just see what other people are going, oh, man, that, that you're like me and I'm feeling this way too. So just validation of feeling is, I think, something Bodhi was talking about a lot. Mm. And I, I think that's what you're saying is really great because that Facebook group allows that validation to happen. So yeah. a really, really good point there. Abby from our, sh- our show today, what did you uh, take away from, from Bodhi's conversation with us? Yeah, I really enjoyed her talking about her process especially when she was doing art therapy about how she has people just put out on paper, whatever they're feeling. And once it's just out of you, you can deal with it. And it just becomes a little less personal, a little easier to deal with. And I just, I think it's so great and such a great process to use when working through something so heavy and so traumatic that, you know, you don't even know where to start. Um, So I just, I found it really interesting. And I'll point that out to you, Abby, is of course, that would be the thing of, Hey, our whole profession financial planning is get all those goals out on paper, track your progress towards the goals. And if it's on paper, it'll happen. If you just never tell anybody what you want to do and and aligning the money to it, then it never happens. So, which is kind of cool. She's doing the exact same thing from a, from a counseling side as what we're doing on the money side of, of, Mm you can get it out and Mm -hmm. get it out, put it down. And exactly. let's now deal with it together because yep. we can do that independently. So again, she kind of did that witness side. Really great. So I, I thought that was a, that was a really good point mm-hmm. for me again, from a, I really like the conversation about the outside perspective. Right. And, you know, I, I know I kind of hit her a couple of times with that about, Hey, because a lot of our show uh, listeners are really the, 
the boomers that are really the 50 and older to 65 year old group, right? So a lot of our listeners are really kind of seeing that, that my parents right now are going through it. Uh, they might have just lost somebody or think I'm looking forward and they will go through it. So mm-hmm. when they're going through this, how do I help? How do I be a resource? How do I not be judgmental? How do I say, avoid terms like get over it or, Mm -hmm. you know, don't, you know, don't do this mom or don't do that dad or just go do this, right? It's just this kind of being forceful and pushing and not validating feelings. So I really like that she was able to address this being there, checking in, giving opportunities to be for them to be vulnerable. Mm -hmm. and, And then if it's ever appropriate and or they need more help is getting them in contact with a counselor and, and doing it in a safe way and not being forceful about that. You're just going to go see a counselor and you got to get over this thing, right? Yeah. Is is really kind of going through the process together. So I think that's an important thing. Of, mm-hmm. I, I think our listeners want uh, could really take away as a, as a good validation of something that they may go through, or maybe they might go through themselves at some point. So having more outsider perspective might help with that. So again, I, again, I, Bodie Wood did a really great job, and again, I could see uh, see her coming back on our show because I think there's enough from the counseling, the feeling perspective, and you know maybe even the, on the art side of getting to the expression, what she's seeing and what she's people uh, seeing people express would be really great. Yeah. So I wanna I wanna wrap up our show. Uh, so we are episode twenty five. So quarter century, we're we're now kind of hitting our rhythm, which is great. (laughs) Uh, So if you want to check out more, you can go to our website, of course. So you can go to uh, blog.guidancepointllc.com backslash 25 or 25. So go there and we'll have more of Bodhi's work there. Uh, Her website, she has a really great blog and I want to make sure we plug that. Mm. Uh, So you can go to www.consciousarttherapy.com and you can sign up for her blog there. Uh, And her uh, her business is uh, Conscious Art Therapy is also on Facebook. So you can uh, check that out there. But um, yeah, we will put all the resources there, our, our uh, transcript and resources and, and uh, listen, a link to this show as well. But we really appreciate every tuning in. We know grief is not the, the, the funnest topic to go through. But again, we don't want to shy away from stuff just because it's hard, right? Is we want to want to be able to lean into things that maybe people aren't going into. And I think this is one that I think people could use help with. Uh, personally, we all could use help with. Yeah. And to just kind of have some of that conversation with someone that's an expert is really helpful. So hopefully you got some utility out of it, or maybe even you, know, you listen to it once and maybe you go through something that you can come back to it and, and then get something out of this too. So we, all, we really appreciate you tuning in and we'll catch you next time. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, you've just listened to an information-filled episode of the Retirement Success in Maine podcast. While this show is about finding more ways to improve your retirement happiness, Guidance Point Advisors' mission is to help our clients create a fulfilling retirement. We do financial planning so that people can enjoy retirement and align their monetary resources to their goals. If you're wondering about your own personal success, we invite you to reach out to us to schedule a 45-minute listening session. Our advisors will have a conversation with you about your goals, your frustrations, and your problems. Make sure you check out Guidance Point Advisors on our blog, Facebook, and LinkedIn. And you can always check out more episodes of this podcast on iTunes and Spotify. And of course, keep on finding your retirement success.